Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of What Do You Know About That? I'm Mary Angela, and joining me, as always, is Eric. Hey, Eric. How's it going, Mary Angela? Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. November 10th already, Eric. Good grief. Yep. Um, Getting ready for Thanksgiving here. I know. What what just happened? Uh, Well... I mean, I mean, a lot has happened. the The Phillies almost won the World Series. Oh, uh, let's but not, not really. talk about that one. <laughs> rumble, rumble, rumble. It was. I mean, it was a. It was a good run. They were. It was they a were, good run. They were pitted Those against a, games a very, me, very strong <laughs> team. They killed you because both teams were so good. Nobody could get any scores, and it was frustrating. Yeah. And then when it happened, it happened, and then they couldn't bounce back from it. But it was. It was fun to see the city come together and to go and watch the game in different places with different people. I really enjoyed that. So it was always next year. Always next year. Always next year. What's going on this day in science, Eric? Well, uh, interestingly, in this day in science, November 10th, back in 2016, scientists make a tiny magnifying glass that sees between atoms. What? Sounds impossible. Yeah. Scientists from the University of Cambridge, in combination with Spanish experts, announced their construction of what they say was the world's smallest magnifying glass ever created at the time. This device, which was constructed using gold nanoparticles, is large enough for a single molecule. Wow. Huh. It fits inside a pico what they call a pico cavity it's a unit of measurement a pico cavity on the surface of the golden nanostructure creators say that contrary to previous beliefs that light could not be examined on a smaller scale in its own wavelength their new magnifying glass is able to focus light a billion times more tightly than that allowing scientists to view individual atoms researchers say the device's construction was intensely difficult, requiring them to cool the gold nanoparticles to negative 260 degrees Celsius, which is equivalent to negative 426 degrees Fahrenheit to properly handle them. Crazy stuff. Okay, that that is. I mean, I guess my real question is, why do why? you want to look in between an atom? <laughs> well, you're talking about quantum mechanics space, time, things like that, the way atoms operate, they, they really, we, we don't understand them. the models that we use to describe atomic behavior. It's a very basic approach mm-hmm. that works on a, a large scale. But when you start looking at the forces inside of atoms and how they behave, you're talking about the stuff that, you know, is fundamental to the universe and understanding the universe. So it's, uh, it's a little step closer to merging science and religion. But okay, huh? Kind of cool stuff. Yeah, right. Neat. I just like saying gold nanoparticles. (laughs) Clearly. So what's going on in the neighborhood? A lot of things going on in the neighborhood, actually. Um, 
some surprising stuff going on in the neighborhood. So the first thing I want to talk about, and I think I brought this up in episodes past, about mailboxes and, you know, mail disappearing, you know, mail mail not arriving. Common occurrence, yes. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Well, as it turns out, the Inquirer just reported that four... Four post offices in Philadelphia are being investigated. They are doing like a an assessment to see where the holes are in their system. What's happening? Are these things getting picked up from mailboxes and then sitting in bins for too long that then makes them opportune for people to go through? Oh. Like like what is happening? And one of the post offices that is getting investigated is in fact our very own germantown post office oh, no. 19144 i mean we've had our own personal problems with the germantown post office and next door is always blowing up with complaints i mean that place is like seventh circle of hell nobody likes to go in there everybody gets terrible customer service they all talk about how awful that post office is so i'm actually super glad that whatever it is that stirred this investigation which i think is the the disappearance of mail, particularly checks and things like that from a lot of post office or mailboxes in, in our area, um, has spawned that they're going to get a good top to bottom assessment and hopefully some restructuring and repairing of the things there that are broken. Wow. And hopefully mail will uh, cease to disappear, which would be really That fantastic. would be lovely. I'm sure people who are anticipating packages, especially people who, say, are receiving medicine through the mail, would yeah. probably be happy to hear that. Yeah. I mean, right now, the stuff that's disappearing is mostly checks and, and yeah. money, things with money in it. But, you know, I mean, it's it's systematically, I, I am pleased to see that the post office is doing something about it in the sense of they're, they're trying to look at it systematically. And they're going for the post offices in the areas where... This is occurring the most. Right. So, um, so yeah, good on them. So we'll see. Who knows how long this will take? Who knows what will happen? Who knows when they will report back as to, to what, be what happened? But stay tuned. That's going on. Right. Um, something else. Catalytic converters. You know what? It's so funny you say that because I was just going to bring that up. So you saw the article about how they busted a ring, a huge ring. Well, so, okay. So you, you were talking about packages you know, being misplaced. And it made me think about, well, with like supply chain shortages and such, people are actively, like when when I was thinking about the medicine thing was like, I I could see people taking people's medicine and trying to sell it and make, you know, money off of it. But then I was thinking black market and and catalytic converters, which is a big thing I know out in California, people's catalytic converters are getting stolen. And here, I mean, it shows up on that. We've talked about this before here in Philadelphia. It's a big thing. I mean, it shows up at least once a week on the next door app where somebody says up, woke up this morning and my catalytic catalytic converter is gone. So it is definitely a thing. Well, um, they just made arrests in a massive eight state theft and reselling ring. Seems like they caught the ringleader who owns a New Jersey auto parts company. Of course, it's New Jersey. Well, that's the ringleader. But this stretches across eight states. Wow. Yes. And they made major arrests in it. So people are like, this is great. Maybe this will help calm down this wave of catalytic converter thefts. Because, I mean, if that was the pipeline, right, if that's where things were going and how things were getting sold, because, you know, a person's not going to steal it if it's not going to make them money. If that person can't make money, then they're not going to steal it. So, yeah, hopefully this will change things. But that's huge. I mean, this has been going on for years. This has been pre-pandemic. People were stealing Mm -hmm. catalytic converters. So I'm, I don't know, I guess surprised pleasantly surprised that there's been some movement and that something is major happened and that 
by getting this guy, the ringleader, they discovered that it was eight states wide. Eight states. Yeah. Are there even eight states that touched Pennsylvania? So <laughs> do you know why the catalytic converter is so special that people steal it? I'm sure I read that somewhere. I mean, it has to do with, I think, how it's made, and I also think what it's made of, but I also think that reselling them, because they're in high demand, they're hard to make, right. is what That's the racket. makes them, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's it's cool. about basically, can't get them, or they're hard to get, or they're back-ordered, or whatever, but you steal one, and you resell it, then you make your money fast, and because it's in demand, you can hike up that price. Wow. Yeah. So... Um, Interesting. So, so that's big. That That's good. And then one thing that's happening in our community that I think everybody should know about, it's coming up on uh, soon. It's coming up on Saturday, November 12th. So in a couple of days, you're going to want to uh, stop by Vernon Park. Do you remember where Vernon Park is? We've talked about it before on our show. Yes. It's that big park that's right there at Chelton and yeah. Green, right? Yep. They're having a um, fall in love with Vernon Park Day, which is basically a community day where people are going to help do some weeding, do some sort of landscaping in the area, help clean up the okay. park cool. because the park has had a really wonderful summer. There have been a lot of events and a lot of activities and people have spent time in Vernon Park, which is fantastic. Yeah. But let's get it ready for the winter and get it all nice and cleaned up so that we can plant some things that will bloom in the spring, get some annual down on the ground before it freezes so mm-hmm. if you're not doing anything on uh saturday from 10 a.m to 12 p.m saturday november 12th from 10 a.m to 12 p.m stop by vernon park and show some love help help uh clean up the park and meet some of your neighbors it should be a good time sweet yeah that's Very all lovely. i got So what are we talking about today? What's our what's our topic? Oh, so our topic it is my turn this week. Um, and I've been mulling over this topic for a while because I, uh, as, as I think many folks do, right? They happen to come across a Netflix show and like, oh, they get inspired about something. But sure. this I was inspired about long before, but recently came across a documentary that just kind of brought it back into my mind. And I was thinking about this one. The topic is mushrooms, more specifically fungus, but I say mushrooms just because that's what people are familiar with. So what comes to mind if I say mushrooms? Um, Slimy things that grow on trees and mossy areas that I don't particularly love when people cook them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you're <laughs> not alone. You could even say there are two kinds of people in this world, those who like mushrooms and those who don't. Sure. Because to your point, yes, I think a lot of people associate mushrooms and just fungus generally as being slimy and gross and blah. But certainly a very essential component to not only our individual existence, but our ecosystem and specifically how we recycle things. So there's there's a couple different views of mushrooms or fungus that I wanted to talk about today. Some of them you're familiar with. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about just funguses in general, but then also talk about some of the the good and the bad. Right, because yeah, like to your point, not only can they be slimy, but some of them can be, you know, not really the best thing to eat. But there are, on the flip side, 
certain mushrooms in particular that have health benefits, even some medicinal qualities. And there's some really unique features that just set funguses in general apart from any other animal kingdom, which in fact they do exist in their own animal kingdom. And they're unique because they, they really are different than plants in animals. So when, when you think about like a fungus, I mean, what do you know about them, you know, say on a micro level? I mean, not much other than they, you know, usually grow in the dark. Funguses tend to yeah. not like sunlight. Um, it's true. Uh, moisture. They, they need moisture. They don't tend to grow so much in dry, arid areas because um, those also tend to be sunny. So that goes hand in hand. Um, I know that in some cases they can be destructive. So if you get a fungus and it, you know, grows on something, it can... It can kill out the good parts of a plant or, you know, if you, you know, we as humans, toenail fungus is not good. Yeah, exactly. You get a fungus, you got to, you got to get rid of that. You don't, you don't want that. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, I guess it, it, they're, they're just an organism that survives by living off other things. They need other things. They don't just live on their own. You're exactly 100% correct. So what distinguishes them distinctly from plants is like plants can make their own energy. They use chlorophyll to absorb sunlight, doing photosynthesis and convert that into sugars to grow. Where fungus, like other animals, they survive off of other living matter, specifically by excreting digestive enzymes, just like humans do, but we do it in our gut and in our mouth. And it breaks down organic matter. And what's unique about them is they can break down just about any kind of organic matter and consume carbon and nitrogen. That's the bulk of what they need to survive. But like plants, or rather like like bacteria, they're microorganisms that don't go beyond um, individual cells. But like humans, those cells come together to form larger structures, like mushrooms, but then you have these colonies. So they're, it's kind of like a hive mindset, but they're what are called eukaryotic cells, which your body's made out of eukaryotic cells. They have, if you look at them under a microscope, they have little teeny organs just like our cells, and they need other things to survive and make their own energy from. So as you would, as you pointed out, they, they grow in dark, moist places. So most people are familiar. You live a piece of fruit out long enough, yeah. mold will start to grow on it. Leave anything out long enough that's biodegradable, and mold will start to grow on it. Fungus will start to grow on it. The The actual mushroom part of it, though, is kind of analogous to the fruit of a plant, though. So the way they propagate, obviously they, they continue to grow, but then they also generate spores that when it mushrooms or flowers, then those spores will emanate. There's other different ways that spores are given off. But some of the things like having to do with fungal infections so you mentioned like toenail fungus that's a very common one thrush is also something that are you familiar with that term uh kids get it babies yeah they do so it's a specific kind of fungus that actually lives in your mouth already you have funguses all over your body you have funguses on your skin inside your body you know your body is basically a metropolis of microorganisms but uh, there's certain things that can cause them to get a little out of control, and one of them is thrush. So yeah, to your point, babies will get it a lot, 
folks who have compromised immune systems will get an infection. And it really is hallmarked by it looks like a, like a white cake that forms on the surface of your skin inside your mouth. And like most funguses or fungal infections, it's itchy and dry and unpleasant. Another one that is very common, um, like people who get rashes like ringworm. I don't know if you've ever had ringworm before, but it's, it, I think the reason they call it ringworm is because it actually forms rings on your skin. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Oftentimes you can take uh, an antifungal and, and address most of those. So in terms of the, the, the downside to funguses, yeah, they can be unpleasant, but as long as you seek medical treatment, they're, they're pretty easy to deal with. Some upsides to funguses uh, in terms of health benefits. Just to step back for a second, when you think about when you go to the grocery store, what are some of the kind of mushrooms that you've seen in the produce section? Uh, well, like the big giant portobello guys, right? You can make a portobello steak. So yep. those. Um, I've seen shiitake mushrooms. I've seen like the little guys. They're usually like bulby and um, they either sell them as, as whole little bulby mushrooms or they slice them up. You can buy the sliced ones. The little teeny white guys, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I think those are... Cremony, or there's bell mushrooms, I think that's what they're yeah. called. I was like, I don't know what their name is, but I, I'd know if I saw them. And then, I don't think you can get them at every grocery store, but what we learned from Max over at Hozier Central Kitchen is that a mushroom, it's called a mayataki mushroom. It's the kind they call the hen of the woods because it has, you can use it in place of chicken. It tends to absorb flavors um, that you cook with it, and it's it's fries easily and it gets crispy and you can pull it apart almost like chicken meat yeah so there's that one so yeah you bring up an interesting point because a lot of people uh, who are converts from being meat eaters often will go to mushrooms because they have a meaty density and flavor to them a very earthy flavor and they are a huge source of protein and fiber but if you're familiar with that there's there's a guy named andrew wheel you've yes. probably seen him Dr. right Dr. wheel he, he looks like santa claus he has a whole line of mushroom things that he sells through origin he does he yes. does so there's one book of his that i read a long time ago or rather i listened to an audiobook and he narrated it he was such a pleasant voice to listen to ah andrew wheel <laughs> but he is a huge fan as a health nut he's a huge fan of mushrooms so this book it's called aging gracefully yes perhaps i'm paraphrasing the name of the book i think that's about right but he talks about antioxidants specifically and just for listeners who who are maybe wondering because i'm sure you've heard the word antioxidant left and right do you know what an antioxidant is uh Yes, ish. I know you've explained it to me before. Tell me again. Okay, long story short. First of all, before you could talk about an antioxidant, you have to talk about what it's an oxidant. Basically, if you think of the chemical foundation of your cells and all the tissues that make your body up as like a glass house, oxidants are like someone throwing a baseball at it. So it'll fracture Shot the glass, yeah. and that's what causes things like cancer right? When okay. you mutate your cells, the antioxidants are like the catcher's mitt to stop the ball. So a lot of these mushrooms that he has listed, he talks about the antioxidant properties, but interestingly, a lot of the more common mushrooms, like the ones you mentioned, the portobellos and, and the, the white bell caps, those are ones he suggests to stay away from 
because they, among other foods, including things like celery, and I was sad to say peanuts and peanut products, and smoked or pickled foods, they contain nitrates. And nitrates mm, can yeah. have carcinogenic effects, yeah. right? But he talks about, so you mentioned things like shiitake. Yeah, so shiitake, they're apparently prized for their ability to lower your blood pressure. They're high in potassium. Mm. That's really good. Cordyceps is one that I've never even heard of before, but it's usually it's processed to make like a supplement. And these are for just treating general weakness, apparently. The, the one you mentioned too, Hen of the Woods, it's the maitake, right? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. So do you know why they call it Hen of the Woods? Again, because it looks and tastes like chicken. Right. So the <laughs> the shape of it, it looks like a hen's tail feather. That's where it gets its oh, name. It does look like a hen's tail yes. feather, yeah. But it's known for having anti-cancer, antiviral, immune system enhancing effects. Another one, too, that I've heard him mention a lot, and probably people may have as a medical supplement, and that's reishi. These are yeah. all like Japanese cultivated mushrooms that seem to have a lot of these antioxidants and health benefits. So a lot of them you'll find more like in a supplement form that mm-hmm. you could either you know take as a pill or you add into a tea or something like that. So there's definitely some health benefits to taking mushrooms. One thing to note is truffles, which you know truffles, right? They're commonly used in fine dining. And what are they a mushroom? Yes. Truffles are a mushroom. Oh, somehow I just always thought it was like a potato, some kind of like root vegetable, because I know that they're like down in the ground and pigs have to find them. That's right. So truffles, they're just interesting to mention because if you ever had like, usually you'll get them like as a shaving on top of a dish, like a garnish or something. It has, it definitely has a very unique, distinct, earthy flavor to it. And yes, they're highly prized because they're very hard to grow. And they grow underground. So typically, pigs are employed. Right. Because pigs, they have a taste for truffles and are very quick to sniff them out. So pigs are used to sniff out truffles. And truffles tend to go anywhere from 5 to $300 per ounce. Yeah. No, I know they're expensive. Super expensive. So just goes to show you some funguses can be gross and disgusting. Mm. Some can be highly prized upwards to $300 per ounce that people will pay Yeah, just for a fungus. Go figure. But another thing that I want to mention briefly, that's really just a testament to how amazing the ability of these fungus at recycling in nature. Again, that's really their function in nature. And I think something you could probably um, relate to or familiar with the story when the Exxon Valdez years and years ago, right? This is one of the first major oil spills that oh, ever yeah. occurred. Oh, yeah. It was a big deal. Right. And, and people were out there cleaning the shores. And I remember one guy saying, my grandkids are going to be here cleaning this place. Using common detergents and such are challenging to to break up the the surface tension of the oil, the petroleum, the raw petroleum. But because of the way that funguses consume carbon-based materials, it's not like we're humans, you know, we have to eat something that's biologically based. For fungus, they can can consume very elemental materials. So things Hmm. like petroleum products, which are just hydrocarbons, it's carbon and hydrogen, they have the enzymes to consume it and break it down. There, there have been studies done where they've taken compost that they've been doused with petroleum, 
and they try treating it with all these other chemicals, but it's really the mushrooms, the fungus that are able to take that that toxic petroleum and turn them into healthy biological matter. So it's a, a testament to their ability to consume and then be the true recyclers that we need in nature. So did they use mushrooms then to yes. clean up? So what they did, and I don't know, say where we are now 30 years later, but yeah, you had guys who had tanks that were going around and spraying spores all over the rocks and such to, to consume the oil. Huh. And yeah. Oh yeah. It, they've been used to clean up. Okay. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah, no, that's, wow. Good on you, mushrooms. Yeah, good on you, mushrooms. <laughs> Another uh, fungus specifically is mycelium. Are you familiar with mycelium? Sounds familiar. Sounds but... familiar. Okay, so another fungus that is very important but unseen. So you may have heard about it. It exists underground, and it grows in vast forests and connects trees to other trees. That's right. It's the mycelium is how they communicate, right? Yeah, so yeah. they're actually a helper for trees. So trees can not only transmit nutrients through mycelium, which form literally like a neural network, they look like nerve endings underground, but will allow trees to feed nutrients. Trees can recognize their offspring, apparently. So trees that have, you know, saplings that are growing around it communicate with their saplings and nurture their saplings through the mycelium. Mm. And I believe it's out in Seattle. There's some great pine forest out there, or it's not pines, it's the redwoods, mm -hmm. that there's this massive network of mycelium, which is like, apparently it's the, the largest living organism on the face of the planet because it spans acres and acres and acres all underground. It's just this massive network of mycelium. So crazy. Well, they certainly found a niche for themselves. Uh, yeah, that right. Mycelium. It's like, Didn't even I'll be it. a helper. You can feed me and I will help you communicate <laughs> with your offspring, trees, and share nutrients. Right. <laughs> and one last final note about funguses, and this is, I think, something, when, if you were to ask me about when I think about mushrooms, this is the other side, and that is the, the psychedelic mushroom. Sure. It's something that I've seen at least tend to be a little bit more commonplace nowadays, maybe a little more accessible. And there's some thought behind this. So originally, as you know, in the 60s, psilocybin, which is the, the chemical that's actually in the hallucinogenic mushrooms, that was being studied for what antidepressive effects. People, were, people were having, I've seen everything from depression to obsessive compulsive disorders. Trauma therapy. Yeah, yeah. trauma therapy, cognitive therapy, doing uh, psilocybin. But that was all shut down almost immediately in the 60s and was classified as a, it's what's called a Schedule One drug. So a Schedule One, I guess, based on the federal classification is it's it has a potential to be abused. There's no documented or, or uh, confirmed, uh, and there's there's sort of a, a double-edged sword here, but confirmed medicinal use for it. Right. And no Because we were just getting to the part where we were going to confirm its medicinal right. use and so they when shut Nixon it down. was like, no, thank you. War on drugs. Yeah. This is a drug. Mind altering? No. Yeah. Yeah. So they that got shut down. But because of alternate therapies over the years that have not been successful, especially in like treating people who suffer from trauma PTSD, or like, yeah. yeah, veterans, for example, 
things like psilocybin are coming more to the surface, you'll see. And I think it's kind of right now in the same bucket as medical marijuana. There's enough research, I think, out there to support the use of it and people who've documented their experiences of it. But uh, do you remember what, because we had watched a documentary, I think, about Mm -hmm. that. Do you remember what some of the folks who had taken psilocybin had talked about their experience was like? Well, I remember that the what we watched was talking about, you know, they were using people either who had had severe trauma or people who were older and and chronically ill, like facing like cancer, like yeah. uh, ter- had a terminal diagnosis right. of some kind, but weren't sick yet. And so it's that worry of I have this terminal illness you can't cure. I'm not sick right now, but sick is coming. Mm-hmm. How do I live in this moment now between now and when the sick comes? to enjoy what I have left of my life. And I think it was, I want to say it was like Harvard, but it was some, some big medical school somewhere did this study for it. Right. And they brought the people in and I remember they dosed them up in a, in a room was all very comfortable. Very controlled. And they, right. And they yes. sat there and they observed them and they wrote down what they were saying. And I do remember a lot of the people that were interviewed on that documentary talking about, you know, that it was, yeah, that they definitely saw things, but it was more about what they felt. They felt very at peace. They felt very unified with the earth. They felt very calm. Mm-hmm. And after having been treated, they felt like it didn't bother them anymore that this that this was coming because they were all part of it. They felt very calm in the moment. I also remember there was a person with OCDs, like extreme OCDs, yep. that that took it, and it actually put him into remission. He was able to like function much better in his daily life without having to go through the, the repetition the behaviors yeah, uh, that yep. he was having. But I remember that the kind of common thing everybody kept talking about her when they showed the few clips that they showed of people while they were in the moment, because they put like the blinders on them and kind of block everything out in the room so they could just really enjoy the experience. Sensory deprivation. Yeah, yeah, they would all talk about colors and warmness and just, you know, feeling very at peace and very... Well, and, and, and the one thing I think that I've seen, or at least heard the common threads of the stories was this sense of like going through almost like a rebirth. Now, again, we're, we're not... We're not advocating for anything here. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> 100%. We're just literally repeating what we saw in this documentary. But right, it, is, it right. is fascinating and it is worth studying because here's what I'm going to say about this. When Nixon did his thing and was like, nope, to mushrooms and we stopped studying them, then what happened was Big Pharma came along and developed things like MDMH, which we all know, or MDMA, I think it's MDMA, anyway, um, ecstasy. They yeah. came and created that, which was being used in its place for mm-hmm. PTSD and for things like that. There's also all these antidepressant drugs, which came along in its place. And it's like, yeah, we had this thing that actually could do these things, but we decided to turn our eye to it because some people like to enjoy it recreationally, which is the common problem with all drugs, right? Addiction well, is real. And I, and I <laughs> you know, yeah, I think it's about having control over it. But it is interesting that now it. in today's day and age, some 50 years since then, we're like, we're now going back and taking a look because the one thing that, you know, the modern medications have is addiction, right? So benzos are like really side help- effects too. Right. Yeah. Are really helpful and, and, you know, calming anxiety. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of drugs, but they are habit forming and they absolutely have withdrawal if you're on them too much, too long. Right. Mm-hmm. So it can't be a permanent fix and it, and they don't fix anything long enough to make it so you don't need to be on them longer. You see what I mean? So it's worth right. going back now and looking at these things that might not be habit forming that may actually be able to because the documentary didn't talk about whether these people needed to be treated again. 
But it did talk about how after this experience, these people were able to go on with their right. lives. Well, and... What's really interesting, so in, in some of the research I did here, for folks who say if you were habitually taking hallucinogenic mushrooms, there is a, a threshold where you reach where the efficacy of that sure. effect diminishes. So then you don't experience that. It's it's almost like building an immunity to the mushroom. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say, make them habit forming, at least just based on that. Um, That's actually of, pretty great. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, it's like a natural shut off, I guess. Yeah. But just stepping back from that, again, the, the whole point in presenting that along with all the other content here was just to, yeah. you know, just talk about our good friends, the mushrooms, <laughs> You know, part of the family of fungus, you know, fungus can be friends too. I think like everything in nature, just respect it and leave it alone and just let it do its thing and uh, appreciate the value that we can derive from them, like some of the health benefits potentially and obviously trees. <laughs> so. But then you didn't really talk about poisonous mushrooms because those are a thing. It's not like we can just go out into the woods and start scooping up mushrooms. Yeah, so... There are some it, that are super toxic. Exactly. I am definitely not someone who is really the expert to say which ones to go for and which ones not to go for. Obviously, the safest bet is to get what's in your grocery store, what's prescribed to you. And if you're going to be going out on a walk in nature, make sure you snap a picture and do some of your research before you pop it in your mouth. But also consider two things like even berries can be poisonous. Oh, sure. So if you're going out into the woods, just be wise <laughs> about what you put in your mouth. Sure. Well, thanks. That was that was super interesting. I learned a lot about fungus and mushrooms, things I did not know. The fungus among us. Yes. That was a nice topic. All right. Well, stay tuned, everybody. We're going to be back in just a moment with uh, who are the musicians in your neighborhood. We've got a fun guest coming up. Stick around. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. All right. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. It is time now for Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? We are excited to be joined today by Rob Newman, a.k.a. Bunny Savage. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, welcome to my humble abode. <laughs> Way, yay. Thanks so much. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, uh, you know, where, where you got your start in music, how long you've been making music, where you make your music. Uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, I started playing the guitar at the age of 14. I started playing, I guess, regularly out you know in in bars and you know at open mic situations back in uh rockland county new york where i'm from and i moved to philadelphia in 2002 where i really became immersified in the open mic scene and then playing with several bands and really i guess kind of just you know learning the ropes as i went along (laughs) i guess like you Um, do sure Yeah, and basically, um, I guess about in 2010, uh, Bunny Savage was born out of frustration from being just, you know, a guitar player in rock bands, one of a million. And the whole Bunny Savage thing was really an attempt to kind of break that mold and to 
be honest, I was kind of scared and not really, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. It was just kind of a thing that happened that out of frustration and I guess angst that was born. And I learned that pissing people off and making people angry can be really fun, especially in uncontrolled circumstances. <laughs> not for everybody, but for me, you know, and for I guess people who enjoyed it, I, I learned that I actually kind of gained a small following which was new, you know, and I think it was because I was thinking outside the box. I wasn't really into my own composition. I was trying to keep things as stupid as possible just to get away from it. Then that got old, I guess, about two years ago. And I wanted to get back into really playing and really performing. And, uh, you know, cancel culture is a real thing as well. And Bunny Savage that we all know from, you know, five years ago wouldn't really be a thing right now. Or it would have been, but, you know, you, I don't know what would have, I'd probably be in jail or I don't know. You know, I was a reactionary artist. <laughs> the internets would be attacking you, sure. no doubt, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also it, it was kind of, it's kind of coincidental because you could only do that for so long. You could only yeah. have, you could only be that guy for so long before it starts to wear on your soul. And now I, I love it. Like watching people, if, if you come to a Plymouth concert, there's a good chance you're going to wind up on your feet and not to attack me to, to dance, which is new to me also. I have a tendency to try to run away from people after we play, and it's a conditioned response, I guess. But it's just re it's really nice to see people, to make people happy instead of making them angry or sad or mad. Great. Cool. We met, I think it was around that time, 2010. It was in, like, South Street, pretty sure. Probably Lickety Split or maybe Time. I don't remember. But yes, very much so. Everything you're talking about there, the angst. And uh, it was one of the things I really liked because I think about people like Frank Zappa, and that's a very unique sort of niche that, you know, there's always a, a void to be filled for that. And the content that you're putting out there, I felt in terms of the level of intellect was probably up there more than what you'd come across that's what really struck me the most and really dug it and yeah the angsty part you know it's kind of like flipping the bird to everyone um and and i love that about your stuff <laughs> but i can see what you're talking about because i've seen the plibmen recently and yeah there's definitely more of a rootsy feel definitely still punk there's very much a punk element and i want to dig into that a little bit because you've played for some pretty prominent folks in the maybe what would be classified as punk scene. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's funny because I don't have a punk uh, music background mm -hmm. whatsoever. I, I think that's a thing, and it's funny because it, within the band, we don't really we don't consider ourselves a punk band. We consider ourselves uh, uh, an amalgamation of genre, and and um, but the thing is, I think what that is, and it's because that's what people pick up on. It, it's it's um, I think it's really just being passionate about rock and roll mm -hmm. because that's kind of a dead thing. And so I think that's conceived as being against the grain nowadays. Yeah. But like in the 80s, that was kind of what rock and roll was, you know, unpolished, 70s more aptly. Yep. But yeah, no, I think it's also an ethos. And I think that there's something either you have it or you don't. It's cool. I was always just a guitarist for hire before I started writing music bunny savage was really the first foray for me as a songwriter right and again like i grew up listening to, to thrash metal 
And that was Slayer is a very, I guess, you know, it's funny because like that basically is a slightly te more technical version of what people called, you know, back then punk rock. And especially vocally, I think Tom Araya from Slayer is probably my biggest influence. Wow. But yeah, I, I've heard that from other people too. I don't feel weird saying that. <laughs> other people I respect, I've heard that from. Yeah. yeah. The Flipman have become a bit of a regular band, like a, a residential band at John and Peter's in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And for whatever reason, the folks that gather there, and they tend to be tourists. You, you've, you've seen us there, Eric, correct? Yeah. It's like a mishmash of tourists and locals and really amazing and strange people. And a lot of people who are quite a bit ahead, you know, more ahead in the game than we are. I think we had an advantage because we're a bit of a strange, off-kilter vibe rock band. And I think Ween kind of made that place what it is right now. Yep. So uh, because we're also like Avon, I think people go there expecting that and we've been fulfilling that. We've actually gained a lot from playing there, including our current mixer, master, I guess, audio engineer, uh, Stephen Haas, who has recorded uh, the Melvins. He's worked with members of the Butthole Surfers, Ween. He's actually one of Ween's live sound techs. Um, oh, wow. He's, he's actually going to be engineering and producing our album out in uh, Austin, Texas. We have, I think, one more round of overdubs to go, which he's probably not, he's probably just going to throw them away. <laughs> but, uh, that's that was pretty exciting for me because that community is very influential upon me. I'm I'm you know almost fifty years old and that's what I grew up with, and so it's pretty interesting when a lot of people that you noticed back then are taking notice of you. Right. Very circular, and to me, it's like a measure of success. Without it's hard to you know make money and <laughs> playing rock and roll, but to me that that's the whole thing. It's like wow, people actually are listening to what we're throwing out there at them. And I, I don't mean like on a grand scale. I, I just mean in a bar setting, like like in a room. And that energy transference is what, it, what it's all about Yep, to me. Totally. For sure. You said you kind of have a sort of residency out there, but like, do you play other places? Do you guys get around? Where, where are you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Our last gig was in Detroit, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, at Theater Bazaar, which is the world's largest masquerade event. It's held at the Masonic Temple, which is, Google that. That is a <laughs> massive structure. It's oh, sure. the most amazing. It's insane. They actually, to give you an idea of the, the size of this place, there were 6,000 tickets sold for this event, which means probably about somewhere between 3,000 and 4,500 people per night. Wow. At the same time, Judas Priest was playing in the main hall. Having oh, my gosh. Wow. It's a massive, massive, massive building. Yeah. Because we were like an unknown band from that area, we were put in like, what they called the Bielza pub. <laughs> and um, we were basically like in the basement off to the left. In the room that you had to pass through in order to hear or see the band perform, they were performing Flesh Suspensions and Burlesque and variety of that kind of act so we were just under the impression like we're just here to have fun like no one's gonna watch us play i wouldn't watch us play <laughs> <laughs> wound up you know we we were uh we we were in an eclectic kind of uh mental environment and um we went into a cover about four songs in of uh the ramones pet cemetery yes, in which i was writhing around the floor and just like feeling the rug on my face it was an amazing <laughs> experience um and just really trying to sound as much like Joey as I can because <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. I don't want to disservice. Right. That's, sure. a, that's a very serious thing. 
And I look up and there's a room full of people. <laughs> and we maintained, we actually created a vibe in the room. We brought a crowd in. And I'm not saying it, there was, it was, I was really nervous because walking through the party before we played, they had these doom metal bands. It was amazing. But I was the only person who cared. Nobody else, like, it was, you know, and they, these are really solid professional bands, you know? Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was like, let's just have fun with it. And I think it's because there's a performative aspect to the Blood Men. And I think that kind of saved us for the evening, you know? Can, can we, oh. uh, really quick, I, can we jump into the concept of the Plibmen? What's the meaning behind the Plibmen? It's, uh, well, <laughs> basically, when I used to drink, I used to go on Facebook and I'd write random posts that I'd forget about. And um, <laughs> one of them happened to say, the Plibmen are coming. Okay. So I had um, a brief glimpse into the future, I guess. <laughs> Clairvoyant. I had no okay. idea what it meant. Got Barry it. Dwyer, who was in the original incarnation of the band, pointed that out to me. I had no idea it existed. And then we used that name at one of our first gigs because we needed a name for the band and we didn't have one yet. Basically. Yeah. And it stuck. If you look up Plib in the Urban Dictionary, it has a rather unfortunate definition. <laughs> but we, we, we stated as party like it's your birthday. Got which it. Which is a general vibe that we're trying to create. Love nice. it. I love um, it. It's a, you know, there's a lot of pressure, especially like as you were saying before, with like being considered almost like a punk artist. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pressure to write uh, political material. Yeah, and I refuse to do that. But if you're at a Plibman concert, that's the last thing you should be thinking about. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what we need right now for sure. I mean, I know I want to go see music that just makes me happy and want to dance and like moves me in that way for sure. There's, there's plenty of that yeah. other stuff out there. <laughs> this is music is yeah, escape. That's the thing. It, it's interesting because like it, it's kind of switched. You know, now mainstream artists are are doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We you have a song that we want to feature this afternoon. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, the Cloakening. Mm -hmm. Yes. The Cloakening was written in outside a Connie's Rick Rack during their open mic night. May they rest in peace. Yeah, somebody randomly approached me and started talking about property value in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And so I listened to what they had to say, and my response was that I, I piss and I <laughs> like my pants. And I guess they were familiar with who I was because they were like, that's your new song. So at the time, uh, it was just myself and Barry Dreyer were performing. It was before the Plymouth. And um, I just kind of, you know, it became a chant over a, a stupid E minor and we, we wrote some riffs with the band and tied it together. And uh, this actually, what you're going to watch, it, it features um, our newest Plib, Plibidopolis. Reverend T.J. McGlinchey joined the band uh, for, uh, within a year, within the past year. And it's enabled the use of guitar harmonies. And this nice. song features pretty cool guitar work. Okay. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Let's take a listen. All right, let's do it.
okay, yeah, that was that was great. That was edgy, that definitely was edgy for sure. I and, felt it, which is good because I don't think we've really had anything edgy on the show. You know, we've had some folks doing some rock stuff, but no, nah, uh, no, you're it, you're for for the first real hard rock and roll. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I like it. There's not a lot of hard rock bands in Philly. Yeah, uh, no, no, not really. Nope, for sure. Um, which makes me want to do it even more. Tell us where we can find you. Where can we see you? Where can we hear you? Okay. Um, so, very important. I put together a festival on South Street. Yeah. Dobbs, at Dobbs on South on November 19th. It features 10 bands or wow. 10 musical acts, a live visual artist. There's more that's going to be announced. And it's kind of a, it's a third run of Flipfest, which is a personal birthday, my birthday weekend, just randomly. We're actually talking about doing it biannually, like possibly having a New Hope chapter of this party. Oh, cool. But we have some awesome bands. We have uh, the Roaring Shell. Are you all familiar with them? No. Here. Emily Mineo and uh, Danny Canary. And um, they're, they're great. We have um, Rodney Anonymous of the Dead Milkman is performing as Heinrich. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Last of the Red Hot Lovers, who I suspect that you guys may know. Uh, it's Yanni and Alexi of Stinking Lizaveta. No, I do not know them. Really? You, oh, you, you have to yeah. introduce me, man. Yeah, you, you would actually really, really dig them. With It's them with uh, my buddy Hoagie who's also a pretty well-known, prolific Philadelphia drummer, doing jazz standards. We have uh, Mary Fuego from Detroit, coming from Detroit, who's an amazing quadrillion-style accordionist and vocalist. A couple, uh, you know, a few more bands. Uh, TC Call, TC, Citizen Riot, TC Cole's band is playing. Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, they're playing. um, So, yeah, it's, and I'll tell you, throwing, to, throwing together a 10-act music festival, not easy. Uh, yeah, not tell me about it. Not an easy endeavor. Yep. Not an easy endeavor. It got to the point where there were like five or six bands. And I was like, you know what? We might as well just make it a 10-band festival. Screw it, you know? And I contacted uh, Dobbs, DVT, Entertainment. And they were really kind enough to accommodate. So it's going to run from 2 p.m. until 11 p.m. And then afterwards, they have DJs running to close out the evening. Oh, cool. So it's legitimate independent festival that, you know, we've had good good luck with it in the past. This, this one, I think, is going to be really pretty special because Dobbs, Dobbs is adequate sound, which is going to be a first time for this festival. Uh, we, we, we performed at Bob and Barber's before, which not they're amazing, but, you know, it's just not set up for what we do. But we made it work, but, you know. Mm-hmm. And we also performed at Jiminy Crickets, which was an American Legion, which was the first one that got bonkers out of control with fights. And we learned don't put that many people into a well lit room in like that pocket of uh, Philadelphia. I guess <laughs> <laughs> this will not be. This is a different. This is going to be much more. Dobbs is a more secure venue. It, it definitely can handle the traffic. So, um, you, so sort of, when when uh, when's the album come out? Um, the album is in post-production at the moment. We're uh, finishing uh, overdubs. I think I have... I, I we, we did it in two sessions. Uh, the first session was at Turtle Studios 
in um, South Philly. Yeah, I know those guys. South Philly. Yep. Yeah, and then the uh, second session was over at Headspace Studios. Okay. In Kensington, the east, the nice Kensington area. I don't know. Right in <laughs> um, Kensington. Yeah, a little bit of trivia actually. The soundboard we used there was the same soundboard from the '90s song "Sex and Candy." Huh. Yeah. You remember that that song? I, you I, do. You I, heard it. You yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. yeah. I like sex and candy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the one. So yeah, our, we have, we have at least one song that's gonna be dropped, and the other one might be dropping uh, independently because it's sprawling. That was used on that same soundboard. Nice little trivia. Trivia, um, music trivia, cool. and so, social yeah, media. Where can we find you? Uh, right now, uh, uh, just our Facebook page. You can like the Facebook page of the Plib Men. Okay. I am not social media savvy. I'm trying to learn. Actually, I am talking prospectively to other people to handle that because it, it, it's everything now. It seems like that's everything. And we're doing well without it. But from what I understand, Instagram is like a thing these days. And yep. um, I, I need to learn about that. It helps to get the word out if you're trying to reach a broader audience. That's for sure. But it, I, I, to, to your point, it starts with regional community, you know. Which is what great. I find intimidating is the frequency that you have to use it. Yeah, and I can't do that. I, I I I paint and renovate houses, so I can't be on like a forty foot ladder snapping shots of you know me you know giving the horns or whatever. Right. <laughs> sure. Eating the deli sandwich. Uh, no worries. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but we can find you on the Facebook at the Plibman. They've got a page. And at Dobbs on November 19th, correct? I guess tickets are through their website? Uh, yeah, if you go to the event page, which is actually on Facebook as well. Cool. There's a link. Uh, t- tickets are, I believe, uh, $10 advance, uh, 15 at the door. Nice. With 10 bands performing, it might be a good idea to buy advance tickets um yeah you know especially because some of them are a little bit more well known and you know this event has like i said it's, it's drawn quite a few people in the past this is the first one also since lockdown so that should be taken into consideration as well yep. yeah come to blue fest <laughs> yeah man I, i'm i'm so you said two two to win Two, two, it's at 2 p.m. till two. really whenever to, when the bar when closes. they decide to close. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, okay. It, it, officially, we're, we're we're I think ending it at 11 p.m. is when our when the rock bands stop and the, the, the live bands stop and then there's a DJ like a, it sounds like a dance party after that. Yeah. So it's it's going to be going until probably about 2 a.m. So from two to two, doors are opening at one. Exciting. Um, well, thank, yeah. you, thank you so much for being with us and talking to us. It's been a genuine pleasure. Uh, look forward to checking out all your stuff and all the places. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for having me. And, yeah, I wish you all success in every endeavor that you have with this. And much love to you all. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank yeah, man. You. Ditto. Thank ditto you. to that. Cool. Yeah.
Well, thanks everybody for listening today. This has been a great show, Eric. We had a, a great conversation about fungus and we had a great musical guest. So thanks again for tuning in. If you've got any ideas or thoughts about anything that we presented today or anything you would like us to talk about in the future, please reach out to us by email at whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at what do you know about that. Give us a like and a follow. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again or hear you again in a couple weeks. Actually, yeah. I think we're coming back, what, on the 24th on Thanksgiving? On Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah, so we'll wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving then. (laughs) Have a good day. All right.